to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we are continuing a series that we have been in for a few weeks that we're calling Church on Mission. Church on Mission. You know, it's, it's so easy the, the, to, uh, with church, as with really all of life, it's so easy uh, to become a dead end in ourselves. Uh, it's easy to become inward focused. It's easy to become self-centered. Uh, how many of you know you don't have to teach someone to become self-centered? That, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? That comes in the default settings, right? You don't have to teach a baby. Babies don't come out going, hey, I just want to take care of everybody else, right? How, Mom, Dad, how can I serve you, right? They don't, they don't come out that way. They, they come out going, me, 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 right? Wow, wow, wow. And so uh, the, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives, uh, that God doesn't want us just to, although there is so much great things that God does for us, God, the, the ultimate measure of our spiritual lives is not it becoming more about us. It's actually about us uh, getting on God's mission and it becoming about something much bigger than ourselves, living on God's mission. And, uh, and so the measure of our spirituality is not how good we feel. It's how obedient we are to what God has told us to do. That's what the sin was all about yesterday is we're just saying, God, yes, whatever the call is, whatever the commission is, God, we're just saying yes to you. Amen. And, uh, and I, I believe that that's what God is looking for. And so that's what we're talking about. And uh, we've been talking about different aspects that we need to understand if we're going to be a church on mission, if we're going to live on mission. Uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I talked about telling God's story and uh, the bigness of God's story and that ultimately the story of God is, is answering the longings of the human heart. We talked about there is longings in every person's heart. There's a longing for life. There, there's an ache that we cannot shake, it's been said. There's something that is, is beyond just where we're at. And, and, and really, that is what God's story answers, uh, that there's questions of, of identity, questions of purpose, questions of, of potential, questions of destiny. And that if we want to share God's story with other people, we need to begin to listen for the longings. Amen? We need to begin to listen to what is the cry of their heart. Uh, oftentimes, churches are, and followers of Jesus are answering the questions that no one is asking. Right? Oftentimes, we are answering the question just about uh, where will you go when you die? And, and that is wonderful, but that's often, how, how many of you know, uh, I'm not trying to die today. Right? I'm trying to live, okay? And so the, the good news of Jesus in, in telling God's story is not just about where we go when we die. It's about something much more than that. And, and then last Sunday, I, I spoke to you uh, out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we talked about that in order to, to understand God's mission, we need to recognize that God's mission does not happen in a vacuum, right? God's mission happens in a time and in a place. 
And in order to be on mission with God, we need to not only know what God's mission is, we need to discern the time and the place that we live in. We need to, as, as the scripture says, we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so we talked about some of the challenges in our day. And today I want to kind of continue to build on that. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 4, and then I'm going to have you flip over to Mark 16, or we'll just look on the screen. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, it says this, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching. What was he preaching? Let's say it a, a little louder. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, I want to read Mark 16. So that's the Mark, uh, Matthew 4 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 16, it says this in verse 15. This is Jesus' final words according to Mark as he commissioned his disciples and Jesus left the earth. He said this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Listen to this. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached Everywhere. They went and told God's story everywhere. The Lord working with them, I love that part, and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, today for your word. We ask now that as we look at your word, Father, we pray that there would be illumination in our hearts, Father. I pray that you just help us to focus in. Lord, even if we spent 14 hours yesterday, God, we just say we're here now and we ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about signs of the kingdom. Signs of the kingdom. And uh, signs is something that we are all familiar with. We all uh, pass signs every day. We, we see signs every day. Uh, think about your route here this morning for just a moment. You probably passed many, many signs on the way here. Uh, there was probably signs for perhaps restaurants, road signs, all kinds of signs along the way. And so we, we are surrounded by signs all the time. But the reality is that oftentimes we, we don't stop to think about the significance of a sign. You know, a sign is kind of an interesting thing because it is a thing, but it's not about that thing. It's actually a thing that points to another thing, right? A sign is always about something greater than itself. 
And so we pass signs, we see signs, maybe uh, some of you work in marketing and maybe you create signs, but have you ever stopped to think about what signs do? What is the significance of signs? And I want you to see three things that, that signs do. If you're taking notes, you can drop, uh, jot these down. Three things that signs do. The first thing is that signs draw, or they draw us in, right? Anybody ever been by the Krispy Kreme on 1792 here? And you see that red glow as you drive by? How many of you have fallen victim? Let's just confess right now. I will say this for the record, when the sign is on, it's worth it, okay? It is worth it. And, uh, and, but we've been drawn in by the sign, and that's what, part of what signs do. Signs, you know, they, they appeal to us. They are drawing us into, not just to the sign, but to something beyond the sign, right? Signs, signs draw us, uh, draw us in. Another thing that signs do is signs direct us, Right? Now, probably all of us today found, if you've been here before, you found your way probably without having to look at signs. And I know in today's day and age, we all have, uh, we all have uh, you know, GPS smartphones and all of that. And so we don't pay much attention to the signs. But how many of you remember when you actually had to read a map and then look at the signs? Do you remember? Some of you, some of you remember that? Yeah. Um, and it's, I'll just say this still, it's actually still important to look at the signs. There's a, there's a red sign, not the Krispy Kreme one, but there's another one uh, that is eight-sided. I believe it's eight-sided. Stop sign is eight-sided, right? Octagon. And uh, that's, that's an important sign. When you come to that sign, it is telling you something to do, right? It is telling you to stop. Let's, y'all sound like you weren't quite sure on what that tells you to do. When you come to that sign, what is it telling you to do? Stop, yes, not roll through, but stop. And so it is directing you. So signs direct. And the third thing that signs do is that signs distinguish. They, they tell us where we are at. They distinguish one place from another place, right? Yeah? Uh, maybe you know right here on 1792, if you just go up uh, maybe 500 yards, you go into what? Winter Park, right? And there is a sign that says, Welcome to Winter Park. If you're coming this way, uh, there was a sign that says, Welcome to Orlando. That's why we call the church One Church Park District, because it's kind of like there's Lock Haven Park and Baldwin Park. And, and, but we're right on the line, and we are in Orlando, and we know that we're in Orlando because the sign distinguishes one place from another place, Right? It, yes, we, are we all in agreement on that? So, so signs play an important role. They do, uh, they do important things. They draw us, they direct us, and they distinguish where we are at. And that is important for us to understand because Jesus' ministry was filled with signs. Much of Jesus' ministry and much of what he did could be classified as a sign. As a sign, now let me explain to you why this is important, because if we are to join Jesus on his ministry, it's important for us to understand what Jesus' ministry is, right? Have you ever seen somebody play a sport and score on the wrong goal? I remember 
I had an illustrious career, basketball career. My mom's laughing at me. In the church basketball league, that's where all the church boys go to get dunked on by kids that couldn't make the JV squad or the varsity squad. But I remember there was another boy on the, on the, on the team that he, one day he got the ball. This was like his moment, and he went down. Uh, down the court and, and, and went for the layup, and it went into the hoop. His hands went into the air, and everybody went, no. <laughs> he went the wrong way, okay? And uh, that was his moment, and he, he missed his moment. He was headed the wrong direction. <laughs> it wasn't me, okay? <laughs> but, but it's important if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do, it's important that we understand what's the mission that he has called us to. And what is the message that, he, that, that Jesus preached? And so I, I want us to look again at the message that Jesus preached. The Bible tells us in Matthew uh, chapter 3, actually I don't think I have it in my notes, but it says this, here's Jesus' message, Matthew chapter 4, I'm sorry, Matthew 4 verse 17, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so we're... We're on Jesus' mission. We're preaching Jesus' message. And what was Jesus' message? Okay, let me read this again. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let let me ask you again, what was Jesus' message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or change your thinking because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I want to show you a little illustration that just kind of depicts this this, um, distinction that I I want you to understand. That this is important for us. And I, I know some of this I've already talked about. So, Gabriel, if you would put the two circles on the screen. There you go. Thank you, Gabriel. Let's give Gabriel a round of applause. That's not actually the guy running pro presenter. That's an angel. I just spoke to the angel. And, no, he did Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to see. And I, I know that for some, of this, for some of us, this may be a challenge to get this because this actually, this may mess with what you have believed the message of the Bible was your whole life. You may think that Jesus said, believe in me, so that you can go to heaven when you die. But that's not what the Bible says that Jesus taught. Now that is true. That uh, I told you last week or the week before, the thief on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So there is this, there is this hope, this eternal expectation that, that if we put our faith in Jesus, that, that we have eternity secure with him. But here's what I want you to see is that's not what Jesus was preaching. Jesus didn't preach, believe in me and you'll go to heaven when you die. He said, repent or change your thinking for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's important for us to understand because Jesus was drawing a distinction between two realms. And this is essential for us to know if we are to to live what Jesus is calling us to live. He he drew the distinction between what we would call the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Right? 
And so there's this distinction between these two worlds of heaven and earth. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay. And Jesus' message was, was not believe in me so that you can get from here to here when you die. Right? I need a laser pointer today. I don't have it. That's not what Jesus' message was. Right? Y'all are so quiet today. This, this is important for us to understand. Most people think that the mission of the gospel is to get as many people from down here to up there. Right? Many people think that that is God's purpose and that's God's mission and that's what Jesus came to do so that when we die, we could go from down here to up there. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said he came to bring what was up there down here. Okay? You're tracking with me after all. Awesome. Woo! Working up a sweat here. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I know for us, we don't think very oftentimes in the, in, in, in the terms of kingdom because we are Americans, right? And, and, and we, our, our nation began out of a desire to throw off the kingdom, right? The, the, the United Kingdom. But the reality is, is that every single one of us has this kingdom rule and bend within us, right? I've said this before. If you, if you go into our, our nursery, our little ones, kids' ministry, and you go and take a toy away from one of the kids, what are they going to say? Mine. And I want you to know that is, that's the cry of kingdom. You don't have to teach them to say that, that is within us. We are born with this desire to rule and to establish a sphere of authority. That's what the Bible calls a kingdom. And so, you know, parents, when you're driving down the street and the kids are arguing in the back and they're, no, that's my seat. No, it's my seat. No, get out of my seat. What's happening? It's a clash of kingdoms, right? In, in the back of the minivan, it is a war of kingdoms going on in the minivan. And, uh, and so this, is, this understanding is essential that, that Jesus was saying, I've come not just to get you to heaven when you die, but to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And, and what is the kingdom of God like? We'll look at the next screen. What is the kingdom of heaven like? What is in, in heaven? First of all, heaven is about God's presence. What makes heaven heaven? God's there. That's what makes heaven heaven. It's God is there. Which, which begs the question, sometimes we say, well, why doesn't God just let everybody into heaven? How many of you know if someone has spent their whole life running from something, rejecting something, how loving would it be of God to force that on them for the rest of their lives? If you spent your whole life trying to get away from God's presence, why would, why, why would it be the loving thing to impose that on that person for the rest of their lives? And so heaven is, is ultimately, it's giving us our greatest desire. Heaven is, is God giving us our greatest desire. 
if our desire is for him and our love is for him, then heaven will be the fulfillment of that desire. But if our desire is not for him, if our desire is to be away from him, then you will be rewarded with that for eternity. Jesus says this, those who do not believe in me will be condemned. It's not based on what you have done. It's based simply on the rejection of his presence. And so heaven, first and foremost, is about the presence of God. Secondly, it's about the purpose of God. Or we could say the will of God, right? It's about, in heaven, God's presence is fully manifest. The Bible says that there is no need for a son because he gives light. But not only that, but in heaven, God's will is done fully, right? That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much of God's will is done in heaven? All of God's will. It's done fully. And so it's about his presence, it's about his purpose, and then it's also about his power, his power accomplishing his purpose. If you have a purpose but you don't have a power, how many of you know you just end up frustrated? Any, some of you parents have a purpose, but you don't walk in the power that God's given to you, and so you just end up frustrated. That's a message on parenting for another time. But it's God's presence, it's God's purpose, and it's God's power to fulfill His, His purpose. And God's plan was not for us just to go to heaven when we die. It was for heaven to come to earth. Next screen. And the angel Gabriel. There we go. Okay, actually, yep, stay there. Okay, so heaven's about God's purpose, or God's presence, God's, God's purpose, God's power. And so what does that look like? If you were going to draw a contrast between heaven and earth, this is kind of what it would look like. Here's what's in heaven. We think about clouds and harps. That's let me tell you, most of us, our idea of heaven has been shaped more by the Peanuts cartoon than it is about what the Bible says, okay? We're thinking clouds and angels and like an, or maybe an eternal church service, you know, and, uh, but that's not what the Bible says that heaven is like. What's heaven like? Well, it's the expression of God's character. And so here's the things. It's really the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, freedom, abundance, health. Creativity. How many of you know that there is no lack in heaven? How much sickness is there in heaven? None. There, there's, some of us will be out of a job when we get to heaven. Preachers may be out of a job. I don't know. Certainly evangelists will be. Um, but nurses, doctors, lawyers will be out of a job too. I'm sorry. Lawyers will be out of a job because... Because there, there's the, the fullness of God's character has, be, has become manifest, right? So that's what there is in heaven. Now let's talk about what there is on earth. Anybody turned on the news lately? Is this a description of what we find in the world? Hate, anger, discord, poverty, war, bondage, lack. All of these things on the earth. Now there is this desire within us, there's something within us that says that this is not right. We still see the, this beauty of the world that God made, and so there's this longing within us that says, 
this isn't the way it's supposed to be. When you see a, a, a starving child, there is something within you that says, no, this is not right. When you see someone who is being neglected rights, there's something within us that says, no, this is not right. They are made in the image of God. Where does that come from? There is no basis of that if we have no understanding of what God has told us. And so there is a longing within us, within every single person, to see what was lost, to see it restored. To see heaven come down to earth. And the story of the Bible is not God getting us off of the earth just in the nick of time before it all goes up in smoke. The story of the Bible is God redeeming all of creation back to his original intention. That is good news. That's the good news. And so when Jesus came, next slide, Gabriel. He's so good. Look at that. When Jesus came, these heaven came to earth. Everywhere that Jesus went. Before pop-ups were cool, Jesus was in the pop-up business. He had a heavenly pop-up everywhere he went. Before Prada had a pop-up, before all of the cool brands had a pop-up in Soho or Long Beach or where, I don't know, wherever they are. Before pop-ups were cool, Jesus was bringing a pop-up of heaven to earth. He was, he was extending his kingdom everywhere he went. Why was he healing the sick? Because in heaven there is no sickness. Why did he work? Have you ever thought about how many financial miracles Jesus worked? The, 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 the amazing catch of fish that Peter caught. How many of you know that was a financial? If you're a fisherman and you've been fishing and not catching any fish and suddenly Jesus says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And there's so many fish that he brings in other boats and all of the boats start to sink. How many of you know that's a financial miracle? What is that? That's the, that's the abundance of heaven being poured out onto the earth. That's the, that's the gospel being manifest onto the earth. Everything that Jesus was doing, he was manifesting the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus came not just to get you to heaven, but to get heaven into you. To get heaven into you. And so Jesus came and, he, and at the, his death and resurrection, he defeated the ultimate enemy of this world. You know, the ultimate enemy of this world is death. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That is the ultimate enemy of this world. And so when Jesus came, and not only did he do these wondrous miracles and amazing things, but ultimately the greatest miracle that he did is when he rose from the dead, he was demonstrating that not even death can stand against Jesus. That he is the ultimate, unrivaled king of kings. That, that there is no greater power before that or since that compares to Jesus Christ. There's a lot of great powers in the world, but how many of you know even nuclear power cannot raise the dead? Amen? And so Jesus was demonstrating his rule, his authority on the earth. And so everything that he was doing was manifesting God's kingdom on the earth. You see, prior to that, it, the the... The death rate was hovering right around 
You know what I'm saying? The death rate was right around 100%. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the system. He, he, there was no internet, but if there had been an internet, he would have been the original one to break the internet. Right? It, it had never been done before what Jesus did when he rose from the dead as he demonstrated his kingdom on the earth. It, it changed the definition of what was possible. It changed the definition of what was possible. And so Jesus went throughout the world. In fact, I've got one more, I think one more little picture there. Okay, so I'm just giving you guys, this may be the most technical teaching you've ever heard on healing and miracles and signs and wonders. But here's what I want you to see. Because oftentimes we, we don't understand what the Bible actually tells us about miracles, about healing, about signs and wonders. Uh, for, for some of us, when we think about signs and wonders, when we think about miracles, we, we think that's like a new thing. We think maybe it started in like, you know, early 1900s and something in L.A. Or maybe you think it started, there was something in the 60s and 70s or uh, some of you are like, I don't have a, any idea of any of those. Maybe some of you think that, that healing and miracles was something that, that's just kind of a sin thing. And so the sin was here. We just kind of talk about that. But I want you to understand that this is the whole theme of the Bible. This is God's, God's purpose coming to the earth. And so these two, it's not only two realms coming together, but it's also two ages, two ages, two time periods and the, the first time period is this age. The Bible talks about this, the, this evil age that we live in. And, and the second time period is the age to come. And Jesus talked oftentimes about this age and the age to come. He talks about those who have left father and mother and house and all of these things will receive a hundredfold in this age and the age to come. Right? And so Jesus is teaching us this understanding of not just these two realms, but also these two ages. And this age is this age where we are living under the oppression of sin, that we are living under the, the brokenness of the world that we live in, where those things that I showed you that dominate earth, uh, of ultimately death ruling the world, that is this age that we live in. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he was putting, he, he, he was bringing in a new age, that's the first R there, a new age at the resurrection. You, you, you know there's moments where something happens that it's not just about that moment, but it actually becomes a new age. It actually starts a new time period. All of us today have, have grown up in the age uh, of uh, 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 flight, right? I mean, we go and we get on an airplane and we go wherever we want in the world. But how many of you know that's like a relatively new thing? I mean, that's just over 100 years old. In fact, it was on December 17, 1903 in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, that Orville and Wilbur Wright, the Wright brothers, had the first flight. And that was not just a great flight for them. They didn't just high-five each other and go, man, that was pretty cool. That changed everything, Right? Prior to that moment, it had not been possible or it was not thought possible for people to fly in an airplane. 
But when they flew, it wasn't just that moment. It actually ushered in a new age. In 1956, a man named, or I'm sorry, 54, a man named Roger Bannister. Who's heard of Roger Bannister? Roger Bannister in 1954 was the first man to run a four-minute mile. Now, I do that often myself, but <laughs> prior to that, it was thought of as impossible. It was, it was actually thought that, that if you tried to run or if someone could run a four-minute mile, that their, their heart would explode, that they would die. And so it was said that it was impossible. And so in, in all of recorded human history, no one had ever ran a minus four-minute mile. They had never broken the four-minute mile barrier. But on May 6, 1954, in, in Oxford, England, Roger Bannister became the first man to break the four-minute mile, to run a sub-four-minute mile. And the amazing thing is that it wasn't just that Roger Bannister did that, but as soon as Roger Bannister did it, people all over the world began running a four-minute mile because what had previously been thought impossible now became possible. It was a new age. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't just yay for Jesus. He was establishing a new age, a new time period for all of humanity that if Jesus can rise from the dead then there is hope and that death is not the final verdict, that this age is not the end of the story. Amen? And so he entered us into this new era, and that first R that you saw on that, on that line is the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it, he, he began this age that, that the kingdom of God is manifest on the earth, but not just, we, we didn't just live in that, we still live in this age. How many of you have ever taken a road trip and your kids asked the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Who knows what I'm talking about? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and so I've got to ask you the question today, are we there yet? Have we, have we experienced the fullness of everything that God came to do? Is everybody healed today? Is, is there still sickness? Is there still poverty? Is there still, yes, that, that we, like I said, you turn on the news and, and you see that we live in a, a broken world, but again, this is, that's not the end of the story. We live in what theologians call the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is already at hand. Jesus has already risen from the dead. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven has come near. You don't have to wait until you go to heaven or to, 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 until you die to go to heaven. You can live in heaven here and now, according to Jesus. But we still live in this world. We, we live in this, this tension between these times. There is, this, there is this problems that we face, this pain that we face, but there is also there's this pain that we face, but then there is also this promise that we have. That's the good news of the gospel. That although, as the Bible says, the, the, the Spirit, we groan, longing for our redemption, longing for things to be made right. When you turn on the news and you see 
all of the problems in our world and you see the pain and you see the misery and you see the destruction, if there's something within you that groans, that's the groaning of God, longing for everything that was broken to be made right. The Bible says also that, 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 that we groan within ourselves and that the Holy Spirit even groans. I love that good news that not only does God, does God give us the does, you know, give us the promise that one day he'll take us to heaven, but he's here with us here and now. And so just as Jesus came and brought heaven to earth, the Holy Spirit is bringing heaven to earth. The presence of God on the earth. The purpose of God on the earth. The power of God on the earth. When, when you receive Jesus into your life, when you say, God, I turn from my way. I turn towards your way. Come into my life. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is within you. Some people think that the church is just about trying to, you know, keep it on the right path until you get to heaven. Just trying to kind of keep life going until you get to heaven. But I, I want you to understand following Jesus is about experiencing the power of God here and now. Let me ask you this question. What's possible? If Jesus has risen from the dead and that is the foundation of our faith, how many of you believe that Jesus is alive? Amen? If you believe that Jesus is, is alive, what is possible? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Healing is possible. Provision is possible. And so as we are proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, it's so crucial that not only are we giving proclamation, but we are also giving demonstration of the kingdom of God. That it's not, as Paul said, just in wise and persuasive words. He said, my preaching was not just in wise and persuasive words, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The foundation of our faith is not in an eloquent preacher. Let me tell you this. If someone, someone can talk you into almost anything, but if they can talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. But if you've had a, an encounter with the power of God, an encounter with the life of God, if you have seen things, you become like that blind man when he was questioned by the religious people and he said, I don't know who that man is. I don't, I, I can't, I can't answer all the theological questions, but here's what I know. I used to be blind and now I can see. I used to be blind. And here's what I want us to understand is it is not sufficient just to believe theologically and doctrinally in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God wants us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit here and now. He wants us to not just have heaven when we die. He wants us to live in heaven on earth. He wants us to, to preach the gospel, to, to tell God's story and to live in God's story. It's what John Wimber called doing the stuff. Doing the stuff. I love John Wimber, a man that is with the Lord now, but the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And he tells this story of, 
how he got saved and came to faith in Jesus. He was a, a, a former rock musician with the Righteous Brothers, the early days of rock and roll, and he came to faith in Jesus. And he would come into church, and he, he, he felt this stirring and this drawing in his heart. And he tells the story of after coming to church for a little while, one day he, he looked at the guy next to him and he said, Hey, uh, when do we get to do the stuff? The guy said, what do you mean, do the stuff? He said, you know, the stuff in the Bible, when do we get to do the stuff? He said, you know, I would read the Bible and I'd see all these things that God did. And I thought when I first came to church, I thought maybe we'd come in and we'd talk about him. And, and then I thought we'd probably start doing the stuff. But he said, I, was, I, I asked the guy, so when do we get to do the stuff? And the guy says, oh, oh no, we don't actually do the stuff. We just talk about. The stuff. We just, talk about, we just talk about people that used to do the stuff. You know, the same can be true for us today. That we can, we can allow this life-giving, life-changing message of God to be something, the good news and the, the story of God to be something that it's like a museum that we... We just put it behind the glass and we look at it and, ooh, that's so nice. Wow, isn't that lovely? But don't touch it. Don't do it. Don't actually want to participate. The Bible knows nothing of a spectator follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible only knows one kind of follower of Jesus, and that is a wholehearted participant in the life of God. That's what God has called us, every one of us, to live in. He's called us to, to do the stuff. And not just for a few people, but for every person. Let me tell you, maybe your faith, maybe you feel like, well, I know I love Jesus, but I just don't feel it. Let me tell you the answer for that, do the stuff. If you want to get your faith off of life support, if you want to get your faith out of the the right-hand lane and get it in the fast lane, begin to step out. Believe God to, to, to do what He has said that He would do. To see the signs and wonders and miracles. See, this is, this is what our faith is in. This is our faith. There is no non-miraculous version of Christianity. There's not like, this is the intellectual conservative version, and this is for the like crazy people. If it's crazy, we're all crazy. But if it's true, then it's the greatest truth that we could ever understand, that Jesus is alive. He wants us to live in it. And so our faith, listen to me, your faith, Yes, you, if you were to die today, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have the hope of heaven for eternity. But chances are you're probably not going to die today. Chances are God has a plan and a purpose for your life here and now. Regardless of, of the condition of your life, God wants you to bring heaven to earth. You know, taking you to heaven is the last thing God wants to do. Selah. He wants to get heaven in to your workplace. 
He wants to get heaven into your neighborhood. He wants to get heaven into your family, into your home. Amen? So I, I want us to... I have a, had a message today, but I felt like it was a little bit of a prepare it and see what comes out sort of a moment. Matt, I want to ask you if you would just to come up. And um, you know, oftentimes when we think about healing, when we think about miracles, oftentimes we think that, um, again, that's reserved for like some people, and it's like not normal people. And can we be honest? Anybody ever thought like? Miracles and things, that's like for not normal people. And I just want like the normal version of Christianity. Anybody ever felt that? I felt that way before. I felt that way. You know the problem with that? I just keep going back to this and I'm like, I can't get away from it. I just can't get away from it, right? And uh, Matt, I, I love, man, you're such a, a blessing. You're a part of our, our eldership team is that we are in the process of developing. And uh, I know... I've been so stirred by your faith to believe God for great, great things. And I know one thing you're passionate about is seeing people that are sick healed. And so could you just tell us maybe some of what stirred your heart and then maybe also a time or two that you've seen some people get, get healed or seen some miracles, some miraculous things? Sure. Thanks, brother. By the way, we didn't plan what we were going to say. I just said I may call you up. So thank you, Matt. All right, so there's been a lot swirling in my mind. I, I went to the Send yesterday, so there's a lot of things that I feel like God is connecting to my heart with regards to what Justin spoke and with regards to my recent personal experiences and just kind of a, a track that I feel like is really relevant for us to consider today. Um, I'm going to deviate just a little bit because I think that there's so much consistency here. Is I want us to think about four different elements. I want us to think about the Word. I want us to think about hearing, and then I want us to think about the kingdom of God. So with regards to the Word, we know that uh, Jesus was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So one of the interesting things about the Send was that it was a lot of proclamations and a lot of declarations. And it was a lot of healing and speaking of destiny and these things that were words that were generated and spoken into the atmosphere. And then the second piece I want us to remember is hearing. And if you look in other passages of Scripture, it says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so with regards to that, we need to be listening for these proclamations in order for us to, in fact, live these things out. So you can, you can hear or you can listen to the word of God, but you don't necessarily have to embrace it. You don't need to necessarily act upon it. But when you receive through hearing, right. then you can take the next step into yeah. the faith. Yeah. And the faith is the acting out of yeah. what you have heard. And so Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so for perhaps us in this room, maybe the whole thought of the kingdom is kind of like a little bit out of reach. But Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what we may be able to do is to grab the kingdom of heaven because Jesus has given it to us at hand. And so part of my journey has been really not just sitting on the sidelines, but saying, God, your word says this. 
how do I do it? What is my next step? And I remember one of the first times I went to a conference and um, there was a real atmosphere of expectation, a real atmosphere of faith. People had come from all over the parts of the world, really similar to how the send was yesterday. And part of the reason why God can do such amazing miracles in that atmosphere is because everybody has so much faith. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right at reach. And the gap between our Sundays and between what was available to us yesterday is oftentimes not, I don't think, what God wants. God doesn't want us to just limit the power of his presence to one certain event. But how about we believe the proclamations and the destiny that was spoken and grab it with our hands through our faith and allow the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? And so just a couple quick testimonies. In this environment, in the previous time, maybe it was probably like four or five years ago, it was a Randy Clark healing seminar. I went there because I wanted to see the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so um, I remember it was an atmosphere, and he's just saying, plant seeds. And think about come into an environment with the acknowledgement that God wants to speak to you, that God wants to see miracles done. He actually commands that they be done. So instead of being a spectator, Let's believe him at his word. And so this atmosphere was created. It was quiet. And I just encourage you right now as we're, as we're talking about this to try to s- increase your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and, and not just expect that one or two people may have the gift of healing. One or two people may be having a connection with God. But everybody has been given a gift according to the measure of faith that is within your lives. And so this, this testimony was, I remember sitting there. And they were saying, if you have, be thinking about some certain type of condition and either you may have a direction for somebody in the room or you may feel that you just want to come up on stage and share the condition that's on your heart. And the awareness may not just be in a voice in your head, but you may feel an ache or a pain in your body that is God trying to prompt you to pray for that element in somebody else. So maybe you all of a sudden just start to feel a tingling in your back or a pain in your back that just arrived that morning. Well, maybe that's because God is giving you an awareness that there is a need in the body of Christ that he wants you to bring to the attention in faith and have hands uh, on that person to pray. And so in this, in this environment of about five or 600 people, I'm sitting in the back and I'm praying and I'm like wondering, God, okay, um, what do you want to do? Do you want to use me in this, in, this, in this environment? And I remember seeing this, this lady and she had a red shirt on and I got in my mind that she has migraines. And so I heard the word. I, the word was spoken. I heard the word. And then my next step was to act in faith upon that word. And so, of course, all of the doubt and all of the insecurities and all of the pride elements of I don't want to get this wrong started to stir up and wanted to keep me in the element of hearing but not stepping out into the element of faith. But I was like, all right, no, this is a safe environment, and what's the worst thing that can happen is I, it doesn't, there's no miracle. And, well, that's no change for the present situation because there's not a miracle now. And so I went up to her, and um, I, like, kind of went up and sat next to her all kind of embarrassed, and she's like, "Uh, okay, well, what's up? And I'm like, I just felt like in my heart that God has, um, he told me that you have migraines and that he wants to take those migraines away from you. 
and she just starts crying and says, that's the whole reason why I came to this conference is I've been suffering with these migraines for years. All sorts of medicine hasn't been able to help me. No, nothing could have healed my condition. So I came in faith to try to seek one of the, one of the people on stage to come and pray for me. Um, and so I was like, well, I, obviously I feel like that's confirmation that God wants to take this away from you right in this moment. And so we prayed, and the next day came around, and I was a little nervous. I was like, I don't know if I want to check and see if she was actually healed because... Uh, it's kind of a little bit another step in faith, but um, but fortunately, God did heal her of those miracles. It did perform a, a miracle and take away those migraines, and so um, that's just a testimony to see that um, God doesn't use everybody who's on stage, but he wants us all to come with expectation. He wants us to move from the word to hearing to faith to the kingdom. And um, it's at hand if we want to take a step of faith and reach up and grab it. And it's almost like the circles grab up and bring the kingdom of heaven on, uh, down here to earth through acting in faith. And another quick story was uh, two weeks ago, um, a buddy of mine in this room went to Tennessee. My friend has a bed and breakfast there, and it's just an amazing experience. Uh, it's an, there's a constant environment of faith and expectation when, when they gather, and each person kind of contributes in their own different gifts. They might share a word of encouragement. They might have a, a song. They might share a poem. They might share a testimony, but God does tell us that's what we are supposed to do is come always something with, to give and contribute to the, to the needs of the body, and so in that environment, there was a worship setting and everybody was praising Jesus. The, the level of faith and, and expectation was so high, created such a, a rich environment and atmosphere. And all of a sudden, we hear a testimony of this girl that had given her life to Christ. And personally, I was kind of surprised at that because I felt like most of the people that would be in that environment were already in a relationship with Jesus. But apparently, her cousin had um, brought her there without her permission or knowledge. She just said he was coming to pick her up, take her out to dinner, and then on the way to the worship setting, he kind of locks the doors and says, um, hey, we're going to this worship thing. And she's like, what? So come to find out, she, she uh, got uh, moved in her heart, and she shared her testimony at the end of the night. In fact, that she was, came from a really dysfunctional childhood environment where her mom was addicted to drugs. She had six kids. She didn't have custody of any of them. And she was in a bad place herself to the point where she had written a suicide letter and was planning to take her life that week. This is just two weeks ago. And so as the, the night goes on and, and she gets continually moved by God, she decides to get baptized. And this is a girl that has no church background. She doesn't really um, know what God can do or what God has done. Just an innocent child that was plucked up from the depths, the depths of despair and, and death. And um, so she goes and gets baptized. And she notices as she's putting on her dry clothes that all of these cut marks that she had on her legs were gone. That God took away the scars of her previous life and totally restored her. She had cut marks all over her arms as well, and those were gone too. I saw the evidence, and just the joy on her face was amazing. Fast forward to the send yesterday. There was one of the, one of the people on stage had a word of knowledge that God wanted to to take away the scars of past life. And specifically amongst many other things, cutting was one of those examples. He said, if you've, if you've suffered with cutting and you have scars from a life that you lived prior to knowing Jesus, 
God wants to not only restore you spiritually, but he wants to restore you physically. And that's what God wants to do with us today. So uh, about a couple minutes after prayer, they wanted the people to acknowledge whether or not they were truly touched by God. And there was hands up all over the place of these, these men and women that had been dealing with the scars of past life, and Jesus totally restored them. Jesus demonstrated that he wants to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And I wonder today if people are struggling with guilt. I wonder if today if people are struggling with scars of a past life. I wonder if marriages are surviving but not existing fruitfully. I wonder if these things are happening within our midst. And, and I would say that they are. It's just the way that we live in life, the enemy tries to bring us down and get us back on earth instead of allowing us to come reach up and take control and, and proclaim our king, the kingdom of heaven is, on, is at, on earth as it is up there. And uh, one, of the, one more example was this, this girl that was, she was praying and asking God to baptize her in the Holy Spirit. And we were praying for a few minutes and nothing was really happen, happening. And I, I just, that the th- same thing that came to mind today was the same thing that came to mind yesterday is that she needed to reach up and grab it and take it down. She needed to reach up because it is at hand. She needs to express in the natural the obedience to her hearing and express in her faith to really just bring the kingdom of heaven. And all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, she's laying on the ground for like 45 minutes, totally just in the joy of the Lord, and it was really awesome. And so praise Jesus for that. But, yeah, those are just some testimonies and and how God's been moving. And, um, yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. It's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't. There, that's right. So I'm just going to go to James 5, and this is just a revelation that God just gave me right now. Um, it's not on the same page section as, as the right Bible, but, um, and I'm not a King, New King James, but um, it's James 5 14. And it says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this is a proclamation that God has given to us as instructions as how we are supposed to live in the body of Christ. And the piece of this that was revealed to me just now was the fact that it says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. He's going to take him from his sickness, which is in the earth. But the prayer that is expressed through faith is taken up. He's now into the kingdom realm. Those sicknesses are gone. He is restored, not just spiritually, but physically. And so I feel like we're supposed to do that. I feel like God wants us to move from his word to hearing to faith to the kingdom. He will raise them up. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to to stand up. And we're going to just move into a time of...